0: Well, you know, Brad was right. This is the last Sunday of 2019 of the year, but if you think about it, it's also the last Sunday of the decade, and what a decade it has been. As the Christmas season winds down, some people are already packing things up and putting the ornaments away and the belief that Christmas is over. But it's really not over yet. We celebrate the season for a couple more Sundays. Epiphany doesn't happen until January 6th. And so today we continue to sing Christmas songs. We continue to celebrate because Christmas is not over. And if our hearts are exactly right, Christmas is really never over. During this Advent season, we have been taking a look at um, the lyrics and listening to the melodies of some of the songs that we sing to celebrate the season. And I hope that through the messages you've heard, you have gained a deeper understanding of the history of those songs and why they're so meaningful, and that you've paused to actually listen to the words that you're singing. Uh, One of the songs that we sang earlier today, the first Noel, had several verses about three wise men. And today's hymn, the Song of the Season, is a song that we call We Three Kings. The song is in our hymnal, uh, and it was written in 1857 by an Episcopalian priest who at the time was teaching in a seminary. And he wrote the song so that it could be part of a Christmas pageant that was going to take place at that seminary. But as this song has become popular, it has had an interesting effect. Uh, very often when we look at our nativity scenes, when we uh, see Christmas cards with pictures of the nativity, we see the stable and we see the manger and we see Mary and Joseph and there's usually some, some angels and some shepherds and some sheep. And then there's the three wise men and their camels. And today I, I think of this sermon a little bit as, as um, a bubble burster or a myth buster Because if you actually study the scriptures, the story of the three wise men is found in Matthew's gospel, while the story of the angels and the shepherds and the baby in the manger is found in Luke's gospel. And you see, those two gospels are are very different. They relate different stories. Luke's gospel tends to focus on uh, the lowly, the birth in a manger, Mary, Mary. The woman of the couple, who is really, um, really dependent on how Joseph reacts to her pregnancy. It's a story of stinky shepherds, outcasts that nobody liked, and yet they were the first ones to hear the good news. But when we turn to Luke's gospel, we get a little different story. We hear about Joseph, the man of the family, the one who had the power to really damage Mary or to follow God's word and to love her, even though he knew that people would think it was terrible that she was pregnant, before it was time for them to have the official marriage begin. They were only in their betrothal period. And he agreed to raise the baby Jesus. So he was in a position of power. And then there's the story of these three magi, these magicians, these Pagan religious scholars somewhere along the way we decided they were kings But it's more likely that they were pagan scholars who followed a religion that studied the stars and By studying the stars they understood the what it meant to see that star rise in the east so this hymn written by uh, John Hopkins actually has five verses The first verse speaks of the story that we're familiar with, the wise men following the star from east to west until it ends up in Bethlehem. The second verse speaks of the baby's birth in Bethlehem and the gift of gold that was given to him because the wise men understood that he was a king. And then, as Robert mentioned, the second gift was frankincense, something that recognized the fact that he wasn't just any old king. He was a divine king. He was the high priest of heaven. And finally, the last gift, myrrh, reminded us that Jesus would die a human death on a cross for us. But then, in the very last verse of the song, we read about how he arose And you see in that song, we have the beginning, the first verse about the birth and the last birth about the risen Lord. And it's important for us to remember that because those two events go together. They were separated by a 33-year life, but without the resurrection that came at the end, the birth would not mean what it means to us today. But there's more to the story of the Magi than we hear in the songs. First, as I mentioned before, these men were probably religious scholars. But they were very learned men, so they understood that Jewish scripture prophesied that a king of the Jews would be born upon the sighting of this star. And they traveled to Jerusalem to ask about the child, because that was the seat of power for the Jewish king. But when they got there, the earthly king who ruled Jerusalem, Herod, was really upset. He was an evil man. He was paranoid. He was obsessed with hanging on to power. We know that he murdered two of his sons to try to protect his power. And the scripture also tells us that Jerusalem was troubled which is a sign to us that the religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people who held religious power, also didn't like hearing this news about the birth of a baby Jewish king because it might upset the apple cart. So we're going to turn to our text today. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read uh, what happens when Herod meets these kings. But we need to realize that they probably came from Babylon, and their journey probably took from six to nine months. And it's quite likely that by the time they finally reached Jesus, he was six months to 18 months old. And as you listen to this scripture, you'll hear that the, um, the wise men actually found him in a house and referred to him as a child, using the Hebrew word that signifies more of a toddler than a baby. But this is what uh, Matthew chapter 2 describes for us. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now that was a lie. Herod was not planning to worship the baby. He was planning to have him killed. The text goes on to say, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. It's interesting. If you think about it, only God could script this kind of story. We have three rich pagans who are Gentiles, who worship stars, not our God, who know Jewish scripture enough to recognize the importance of the star, and then follow a leading that only could have come from God to go find this child who worship this child, who was not even a king from their faith, to present him with gifts that we'll find out later became very important because the gift of gold allowed Joseph and Mary to live in a strange country for a while. And then they defied the evil earthly king who said, come back and tell me when you find this baby. And... Because of a word they got in a dream that only could have come from God, they went home by a different road. Only God could script something like that. What they did was courageous. What they did took gumption and bravery, and it took obedience to a God that they didn't even really know. But their story was not the only story of courage that we hear in Matthew. There was another man written about in Matthew who was just as courageous in his own way, and he's the man I spoke to you about earlier, the man who took on the role of being uh, Jesus's earthly father, Joseph. If I continue to read the text, this is what Matthew tells us about what happened after the Magi left. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. Imagine it, if you will. Joseph has proven himself to be such a special man. I recently watched a reenactment, a movie about the nativity, and it was a a sweet movie. And in it they did such a wonderful job of portraying Joseph as a man who was torn and who was grieved by Mary's pregnancy. He was being looked down upon by people in his family and people who lived in his village. But when he received the word from God's angel that it was a good thing to marry Mary and to be the father of Jesus, he was obedient. He risked ridicule and judgment. He protected Mary and Jesus, and he raised Jesus as his own son. And then, within a year after the baby's birth, he had to pick himself up with his wife And his young child and leave the home where he lived, which was probably his father's house, because that's how families lived. Sons lived in their father's homes. And he had to leave for Egypt. He had to travel 90 miles and take up residence in a city where there would have been a lot of Jews living and begin to practice his livelihood in a strange place, aided for sure by the gold, the gift of gold that had been given, why the wise went? It took courage to do that. And that's what I'd really like to take a minute to talk about today, is courage. Because this story that we read in Matthew about the birth of the Christ child is filled with courageous people. But courage appears earlier in the Bible. We know that. Those of us who read the New Testament know that it took courage for Noah to build the ark, for Abraham to leave his father's land. It took courage for Joshua to follow in Moses' footsteps. And we know that there's a verse in Joshua. I I consider this to be my life verse. I love it. It is the verse that calls upon us to be courageous, and I'd like to read it for you today. It says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joseph understood this. The wise men seemed to understand it, although it's doubtful that they would have read all the scriptures. They did what was necessary. You see, there's two different kinds of courage on display here. The first one is courage to defy the world in favor of Jesus. Courage to defy the world in favor of Jesus. It takes courage to defy powerful rulers and cultural influence, cultural influences. But the Magi did this. It took a leap of faith for them to worship Jesus and obey a God they didn't know. You know, our world often asks us to worship things other than God. Our world often calls upon us to spend more than we should. To admire the powerful and to go along with the crowd. So we too are called upon to have the kind of courage that defies the world in favor of Jesus. Pastor Bob reminded us two weeks ago as he spoke about the song, Away in the Manger, that we sing about the little Lord Jesus, but that little Lord Jesus grows up to be the big Lord Jesus, the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. And he talked about being fully surrendered and fully committed rather than partially committed and partly sh- uh, surrendered. And I want to reemphasize that today because to do that in the world we live in takes courage. It takes a willingness to be brave, to defy the powerful, the popular, and the secular. It takes a willingness to be brave and to be courageous, to be faithful in a world that isn't very faithful, and to live in the midst of a world that is partially committed, if committed at all. The second kind of courage I'd like to mention today is the courage that was demonstrated by Joseph. When he picked up his family and moved them to a strange country, that was the courage to change his life and step out in faith. Sometimes following Jesus means we turn our worlds upside down. Like the wise men, we go home by a different route. Think about Joseph. He turned his world upside down. He left his home. He left his father's family. He left the place where he made a livelihood. He made a long, difficult journey. And he arrived in a strange land where he had to start over until Herod died. That kind of courage is also required if we are to be fully committed to the Lord. Sometimes we simply have to change, and changing takes courage. How many people here today love to change? That's what I thought. Either you're shy to raise your hands or you're being very honest today. Most of us don't handle change very well. I know I struggle with it. There's been a lot of changes in my life, and I've had a lot of struggles with them. I, I don't mind telling you. So as we finish this message today, I would really like for us to take a minute, a minute to talk about courage. I already reminded you about the message of Away in the Manger, but we also had a message about a song called Go Tell It on the Mountain. That was last Sunday. Um, you know, I didn't see you for about four weeks in November and part of December because I was away, and I had a lot of time to think about this song because originally um, I was going to preach that message, and then instead I went on vacation, but I had been thinking about the words to go telling on the mountain. And all I could think of during my time away, because frankly I was dealing with a few little mountains that I had to climb, was that that song tells us That we have to tell it on a mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Which implies to us that our lives are going to have mountains that we have to climb. And they're not always going to be fun to climb. But Pastor Bob's message last week reminded us, his Christmas Eve message, that Emmanuel is God with us. And where we err, where we have the difficulty when it comes time for us to climb mountains is when we forget that we never have to climb those mountains alone. We don't. Emmanuel, God with us, is with us as we climb. Now I realize some of you today, it's the Sunday after Christmas and maybe you don't want to say it out loud in church but you might just be a little relieved. (sighs) Christmas is over. It's not easy for everybody. Maybe you were just too busy and you forgot the reason for the season. Maybe the financial stresses that come with Christmas robbed you of your joy and your peace. Maybe you couldn't spend Christmas with your loved ones because they lived in other places. Or as Brad mentioned before, maybe you were navigating your way through a first Christmas without someone or more than one person that you love dearly. That's really tough to do. Maybe you were just trying to survive the season. And maybe the circumstances of your life during the season and today feel like too much for you, for you to get up and share the good news and climb the mountain. But I'm calling upon you today, please, to make a decision, to look toward 2020 with courage, with faith that you don't walk alone. You know, the Apostle Paul reminded us in a verse that's really very famous about a thorn that he had a problem with. And he was asking God to remove this thorn, which was like his mountain to climb, And God's reply to Paul, which we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, says, My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul reminds us, that Jesus walked with him through the difficult times. And I call on you today to remember that as well. You don't have to face any trial in the year ahead alone. You're called to climb that mountain with Jesus by your side and declare the good news that he was born, that he came to redeem you and me, that he went to the cross to bear the burden of our sins so that, like him, we could rise from human death and share in his resurrection. We're called to remember that Jesus loved guys like the Magi, those Gentile pagans who weren't of the right faith and who were well-to-do. But he also loved, especially loved, those poor, stinky shepherds that nobody else loved. He loves the outcast. He loves the unworthy sinner as much as he loves the fully committed disciple. He loved the sick, he loved the oppressed, he loved the depressed, and he loved the slaves who lived in miserable circumstances and who in the middle of their misery developed the words of the song, go tell it on the mountain. If they can do it, certainly we can do it as well. And remember, this is especially for those of you who are having some kind of struggle right now. When you climb your mountain, when you share the good news, you may not know it, but you may be setting an example for someone who is without hope, someone who is without love in their heart, someone who doesn't know Jesus. They might look at you and say, look at him. He's going through this Christmas season the first time without his wife, but he's still sharing the good news and praising the Lord. Or look at her. I know she's having financial struggles, and she's still in church giving of her time and her talent loving other people, look at her. And maybe, just maybe, when you climb your mountain through your trial and you set an example for someone who also has problems, for someone who's lonely and hopeless, maybe, just maybe, they'll say, I need some of what he or she has. And they'll turn to Jesus too. And you'll never even know that you made a difference in their lives. So climb your mountains. Vow to take a different road just like the Magi. Trust God just like Joseph. And remember, God loves you because you are his beloved child. His love never fails. His promises that the best is yet to come for you and for his church at St. Paul as we do the ministry he places in our hands here in our community. Let's enter the year 2020 with hearts that are strong and courageous, not because we have big muscles, but because we're carried by the muscles of Jesus Christ and the love of God. Happy New Year.